0: Welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud premium mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's position for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. There are many terms and acronyms commonly used in neonatology that most people are just not familiar with. Even clinicians who work in the medical field but do not have any NICU experience are unlikely to know what a UAC or UVC is. And most NICU parents probably didn't even realize that you can actually access a newborn's venous and or arterial system through their umbilicus until the providers in the NICU explain the procedure to them. So today, we are reviewing some of those common NICU acronyms, but specifically Different intravenous and arterial line options commonly used in the NICU. These terms may be casually discussed during conversations between NICU clinicians or perhaps during rounds, but it is important that as a NICU parent, you understand the different peripheral and central lines infants in the NICU commonly need. Now, not only should you understand what they are, but you should also know when they are used or why one option is chosen over another. Additionally, it is imperative that you know the potential complications with each line. So you know what questions to ask when the NICU providers speak with you about each option. So sit back and get ready to become empowered as we review peripheral and arterial lines common to the NICU. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Neotech. If you are a NICU clinician, it is likely that you have seen a variety of ways to secure UVC and UAC lines. One of the most popular methods is the goalpost, or bridge, which allows securement for multiple catheters, and it keeps the catheters up and away from the infant's skin. But creating the bridge is very time-consuming, and it requires the use of medical tape, which can be extremely damaging to neonatal skin. The innovative NEO Bridge an umbilical catheter holder from Neotech is a great and effective alternative. With its two secure positioning flaps, it is designed to prevent the catheters from dislodging. Even better, the flaps can be opened and closed repeatedly to adjust or remove catheters as needed without having to remove the entire Neobridge. Best of all, Neobridge features a skin-friendly Neobond hydrocolloid base which promotes healthy skin care that is essential in the NICU, especially for our extremely premature neonates. Hydrocolloid is a protective adhesive that helps to reduce the risk of damage to fragile skin. Neobridge can accommodate two catheters, and the clear flaps allow for easy visibility so you can see the markings or the numbers on the catheters. It is available in three different sizes, micro, small, and large. Why spend your valuable time taping up a goalpost for your umbilical catheters? Keep catheters safely secured with the Neotech Neobridge. Not only is it easier, but it is also better for the skin. To get your free sample, visit neotechneobridge.com or find the link in our show notes. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by ErgoBaby. Shop confidently for your baby's carrier and swaddlers with Ergo Baby. They are acknowledged as hip-healthy products by the International Hip Dysplasia Institute, ensuring that their baby carriers are comfortable, ergonomic, and safe for your baby's hips. The carriers are ergonomically designed to cradle your baby in a natural sitting position and to evenly distribute your baby's weight between your hips and shoulders. Or consider their wraps that are perfect for your newborn through their first year. The thin, breathable fabric will keep you and your baby cool while you're close together. With the perfect amount of softness and stretchiness, find comfort knowing that your baby is secure and well-supported. Ergo Baby Reversible Strollers are a must-see. They are designed with a smart, busy parent in mind. They are lightweight, durable, and compatible with multiple infant car seats. With safety and convenience in mind, the reversible stroller allows you to seamlessly rotate the stroller handle from back to front to alternate the direction your baby or toddler is facing and to seamlessly transition them from a baby stroller into a toddler stroller once your little one is big enough. Shop all of your baby's must-haves, including Ergo Baby's baby carriers, swaddlers, wraps, sleep sacks, nursing pillows, diaper bags, and so much more at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash Ergo Baby. That is NICUParents.com forward slash E-R-G-O-B-A-B-Y or find the link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. Most infants in the NICU require IV or intravenous access at some point. There are several options for lines and catheters that deliver intravenous fluids, Medications, parenteral nutrition, and blood products for neonates. The decision of which line is appropriate is typically dependent upon the infant's gestational age, their clinical condition, and how long the providers anticipate the need for IV access. Additionally, some of the variations between units are based on their individual unit protocols, or there may be demographic variations as well. So today we're going to review the different modes of IV access and arterial access commonly used in the NICU, including peripheral intravenous line, PIV, umbilical artery catheter, UAC, percutaneous or peripheral arterial line, PAL, umbilical venous catheter, UVC, peripherally inserted central catheter, PICC line, or PICC and central Venus line CVL. Now, I touched on a lot of the lines and catheters that we will be discussing in this episode, as well as several other pieces of NICU equipment commonly used way back on episode five of the podcast, NICU equipment from head to toe, what you need to know, which you can listen by heading to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode five. Also, we had our artists draw a beautiful image to help NICU parents identify and understand many of the machines, lines, and equipment commonly used in the NICU. So you can follow along today or just so you have it in the future, because I think it is so helpful for parents to see. Go and grab your free PDF so you can follow along at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash NICU image. Okay. So we will start with the most basic, a peripheral IV, commonly referred to as a PIV. A peripheral IV is commonly used in the NICU for many babies. It is started just as an IV on an adult would be. There's a small needle used to access the vein. Then the needle is removed and a small short catheter is threaded into the vein. IV fluids, medications, parenteral nutrition, and blood products may be given through a PIV. Peripheral IVs on infants, children, and adults are just not meant to last for very long. They may become infiltrated, meaning fluid leaks out of the vein into the surrounding soft tissue, or they often become dislodged after just one day or a few days of use. The length of time they last is dependent upon each individual, their veins, and how caustic the IV solutions are that are infusing into it. And this is especially true for babies, but especially more so for premature infants, as their veins can be very fragile. Additionally, infants admitted to the NICU typically need IV access for days, if not weeks or months, which is why central IV access is frequently necessary. With central lines, The tip or end of the catheter ends near the heart in one of the larger veins, which allows it to last longer, it makes it less likely to become dislodged, and it is less likely to cause damage. Additionally, since central catheters are closer to the heart where blood flow is stronger, the flow of the medications, parental nutrition, and IV fluids will be stronger and more constant. Especially with crucial, life-saving medications, a central line ensures that medications are delivered safely and will diffuse throughout the body more quickly. Central lines also allow the providers to deliver medications and IV fluids with higher concentrations without concern of them being irritating to the veins. For example, most infants are given a dextrose solution through their IV, but once dextrose levels beyond 12 and percent are needed, they are considered more hypertonic and have to be infused through a central line to avoid vein irritation or damage. Now, before we move on to umbilical lines, it is important to understand the anatomy of the umbilical cord and fetal circulation. In utero, the placenta accepts the blood without oxygen from the fetus through blood vessels that lead the fetus through the umbilical arteries. There are two of them. Blood then goes through the placenta picks up oxygen, and the oxygen-rich blood and nutrients return to the fetus via the single umbilical vein. The oxygenated blood that enters the fetus bypasses the fetal liver via the ductus venosus and enters into the right side of the heart. As I mentioned, there are supposed to be two umbilical arteries and one umbilical vein. But in approximately 1% of pregnancies, there is just one umbilical artery, which is referred to as a single umbilical artery. The umbilical artery is accessible in infants through a procedure known as umbilical artery catheterization. An umbilical artery catheter, or UAC, provides direct access to the arterial system, which is useful for NICU patients who require frequent blood sampling and measurements of the systemic arterial blood pressure. Now, not every infant requires a UAC line. They are typically reserved for infants that need frequent measurements of arterial blood gases, frequent blood sampling, or continuous blood pressure monitoring in either extremely premature or critically ill neonates. Although it is not the preferred method, UACs may occasionally be used as a temporary solution to infuse parenteral nutrition or certain medications if no other IV access is available. But this decision is unit dependent. The maximum dextrose concentration administered through the UAC is 15%. Other medications like endomethacin, vasopressor medications, calcium boluses, and or anticonvulsant medication should not be administered through the UAC. Only NICU providers or transport nurses who have undergone adequate training should perform the procedure. The UAC procedure is completed and maintenance of the line should all be done under sterile technique since it is a central line. Since there are two umbilical veins, the provider can start with either one. Now the arteries in the umbilical cord are quite small, thick-walled, and constricted. So the inserter must take some time to carefully dilate the artery they are attempting to place the catheter in. There are calculations the inserter performs prior to the procedure to estimate how far they should advance the catheter. Once the catheter is placed in the pre-calculated and hopefully correct location, the provider will verify the tip location by ordering an X-ray. Once a catheter placement is verified, the UAC line will be secured. There are a variety of methods to secure umbilical lines with and without sutures, including commercially available securement devices like the Neobridge by Neotech. If you would like more information on any of Neotech's products, find the link in our show notes. It is especially important with umbilical lines, but specifically umbilical artery catheters, that the line is secure and does not become dislodged since it is a direct line into the infant's arterial system. Additionally, just to be careful, infants should be placed either on their sides or back to monitor for any dislodgement or bleeding. As I mentioned, UAC lines are ideal for drawing labs, including arterial blood gases. When drawing blood from the line, it should be done under sterile fashion and care should be taken to not withdraw the blood or to reinfuse the blood back to the infant too quickly. As per the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, it is recommended that umbilical artery catheters are only left in place for a maximum of five days. Some sources state five to seven days. Regardless, there should be a daily conversation with the NICU care team to evaluate if the UAC line is still necessary or if it can be removed. Insertion of a UAC is not without complications. Infants with a UAC in place are at risk for an infection, specifically a central line-associated bloodstream infection. Additional potential complications may also include, but are not limited to, vascular complications including vasospasm, thrombosis, embolism, and or an infarction can occur. If an infant is critical and still requires frequent blood draws, arterial blood gases, or continuous blood pressure monitoring, a percutaneous or peripheral art line, or PAL, may need to be placed. A percutaneous arterial line is placed by inserting a needle, most commonly into the radial artery in the infant's wrist. Once the artery is accessed, the needle is removed and a small catheter is advanced. Once in place, the line is carefully secured. There are also some complications to consider when there is a peripheral art line, including but not limited to vasospasm, embolism, thrombosis, ear embolism, hemorrhage, infection, infiltration, and or nerve damage. Additionally, peripheral art lines, in my personal experience, are difficult to maintain for extended periods of time, but they do help NICU clinicians to manage critical infants. Next, we will discuss the UVC, or umbilical venous catheter. A UVC is placed in the single vein of the remnant piece of the umbilical cord. It is used for preterm or critically ill neonates that require intravenous administration of fluids, medications, Parenteral nutrition, and or blood products. The provider will calculate the anticipated length it needs to be inserted prior to the initiation of the procedure. The insertion and maintenance of a UVC should also be done with sterile technique. The vein in the umbilical cord is larger than the arteries, thin-walled, and is easily accessible, so it does not typically require dilation. Once in the umbilical vein, the catheter travels through the medial part of the left portal vein, then through the ductus venosus, with the goal of the tip to end near the junction of the inferior vena cava, or IVC, and right atrium. UVCs often unintentionally take the collateral route into the portal system near the hepatic branch of the portal vein. This position is not acceptable, so the provider must try to maneuver the catheter to the central location or pull it back some and consider leaving it at a lower level, which is called a low-lying UVC. To confirm accurate placement of the UVC, an x-ray is typically done. Although recently, the introduction of ultrasound-based methods for tip navigation and tip location is growing in the neonatology world. Despite the accuracy of ultrasound-guided UVC placement, Many NICUs continue to use x-rays to confirm placement, possibly due to the need for targeted training with providers on the use of the point-of-care ultrasound, or POCUS. According to the CDC, UVCs can remain in place up to 14 days, although other sources recommend just seven days. It is recommended that if a central line is anticipated to be needed for more than five to seven days, a PICC line should be attempted, which we will cover shortly rather than leaving in a UVC for an extended period of time. Just as with UACs, UVCs do not come without risks or complications. The most commonly reported adverse effect for UVCs is infection, or CLABSI, central line associated bloodstream infection. Additional complications may include, but are not limited to, migration, arrhythmias, pericardial effusion, thrombosis, extravasion, hepatic complications, blood loss, and or hemorrhage. Just as with UACs, UVCs need to be secured properly with one of the common modalities or commercially available products. Next up, we will discuss pick lines or peripherally inserted central catheters. They are used for long-term IV access to administer medications, fluids, and or parenteral nutrition. Just as it says, a pick line is started peripherally or in a peripheral vein, either in an infant's hand, arm, axilla, foot, leg, or scalp. The inserter measures the anticipated length, trims the catheter accordingly. Then once the vein is accessed with an introducer or needle, the needle is removed and the catheter is thread through the vascular system until the tip is in either of the two major veins near the heart the superior vena cava, SVC, or inferior vena cava, IVC. Pick lines inserted in the upper extremities, axilla, or scalp vessels should lie in the SVC, above the right atrium of the heart, and if they are inserted in lower extremities, they will lie in the IVC, or inferior vena cava. Pick lines are typically inserted by a member of the pickline line team or one of the nurse practitioners. Just as with previous central lines we have discussed, placement and maintenance of a PICC line is always done under sterile technique. Confirmation of the tip, once the line has been inserted, is done typically by an x-ray. But PICC lines can also be placed in interventional radiology or through the guided ultrasound technique. Once central placement is verified, the insertion site and external portion of the catheter is secured with a transparent dressing. PIC lines may stay in place for several weeks or months if needed. They can also be used in place of a UVC or replace the UVC once it is removed around five to seven days of age. The CDC recommends inserting a PIC line if IV access and therapy are needed for more than six days. Complications associated with PIC lines include, but are not limited to, infiltration, catheter occlusion, infection, air embolism, migration, and or pericardial effusions. And finally, I will touch on central venous lines or CVLs in infants. A CVL is typically placed if the NICU clinicians were unable to place a PICC line and the infant still needs long-term IV access or in surgical patients. IV fluids, medications, parenteral nutrition, and typically blood products can be delivered via a CVL. Central venous lines are placed surgically in the chest or growing area, and the catheters thread so the tip sits just outside the heart. As I mentioned previously, all central lines place infants at risk for central line-associated bloodstream infections, or CLABSIs. They are the most common type of nosocomial or hospital-acquired infections in neonates. Bloodstream infections also lead to an increase in mortality, poor growth, and negative neurodevelopmental outcomes. Due to the devastation that often follows a CLABSI, there continues to be a large amount of studies with a focus on ways to reduce the incidence of central line catheter-related infections. In attempts to minimize the incidence of CLABSIs, it is important that all of the medical staff is educated regularly and repeatedly about central lines, the appropriate practices during catheter insertion and maintenance, and other policies for catheter-related infection prevention. One prominent method to prevent clabsies is by only allowing skilled medical personnel to manage insertion and maintenance of central lines in the NICU by a designated line care and or PIC team. Appropriate patient-to-nurse ratios should also be maintained to allow adequate time to care for the central line and to change fluids and or tubing under sterile technique. This is incredibly important as research has shown that elevated patient to nurse ratios are associated with an increase in CLABSIs. Intervention bundles for central lines in the NICU are also recommended for both insertion and maintenance. Studies have shown that bundles with a checklist encourage compliance and ultimately a reduction in CLABSIs. Other practices to prevent CLABSIs include scrubbing the hub prior to accessing the line, as well as appropriate hand hygiene. Appropriate use of skin antiseptics is recommended to cleanse the skin prior to insertion with either 70% alcohol, tincture of iodine, or a greater than 0.5% chlorhexidine with alcohol. As we discussed in our 35th podcast, Skin Care, Clinical Guidelines for the NICU, The use of chlorhexidine is not approved in infants less than two months of age due to concerns of contact dermatitis, potential systemic absorption, and possible toxic effects. But we do know that chlorhexidine is superior for skin disinfecting in children and adults, but it is not approved due to the limited safety data in infants. Although many units use chlorhexidine in their NICUs, The CDC have said that because there is insufficient evidence to make proper recommendations on the safety and efficacy of chlorhexidine in infants younger than two months of age. As a result, the use of chlorhexidine in the extremely low birth weight infants and infants less than two months of age is controversial and should be used per each institution's guidelines. Also with central lines, it is recommended to add low-dose heparin 0.25 to one units per milliliter to maintain its patency. The dose will vary between institutions and their policies. And finally, as I previously mentioned, it is crucial to remove any central line as soon as possible and when they are no longer needed to minimize complications and the risk of a central line-associated bloodstream infection. It is also important to mention that each NICU and their protocols for when they place central lines and how long they keep in UACs, UVCs, and or pick lines will vary. Some NICUs will place UVCs if an infant is below a certain gestational age, like 28 or 30 weeks gestation, where other units may start peripheral IVs on those small babies then place a pick line if needed, rather than inserting a UVC. As a parent, I think it's important for you to not only know what kind of IV access your infant has, but to understand the differences between peripheral IVs and the different central line options. As always, if you have any questions or do not understand something, please ask your infant's care team or provider for clarification. I hope you enjoyed this basic review on IV access and central lines commonly used in the NICU. I think it is important that parents understand the basics of the peripheral and central lines common to the NICU, but also the complications that may be associated with them. I hope this review was valuable for you, whether you are a novice NICU clinician or a NICU parent. As always, if your baby is in the NICU, ask their provider for clarification on what type of IV access they will have or will likely have in the future so you thoroughly understand the plan of care for your baby. Remember, go and grab your free NICU diagram that will help you identify equipment, tubes, and monitors that are commonly used in the NICU at empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash NICU image. For show notes, the references used for this episode and links mentioned in the episode, head to empowering NICUparents.com forward slash episode 40. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you know of someone who would gain some value from this episode or any of our podcasts, please share it with them. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast, and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear, so make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.